Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome to the Core Anesthesia Podcast. I'm Sachi. And I'm Rhea. Together in this care plan series, we're diving into the intricate world of anesthesia, tackling those tough cases that keep you on your toes in the operating room. As experienced CRNAs with a passion for teaching and mentoring, we're here to break down the complexities of challenging procedures, giving you the need-to-know information. Each episode, we dissect specific cases, exploring anesthesia techniques, case considerations, pharmacology, and much more. We've teamed up with Cole and Tanner for these care plan episodes to share our expertise and insights. So whether you're a student aiming to build a strong foundation or a professional seeking advanced insights, join us as we navigate the intricacies of anesthesia practice. So welcome to another care plan episode. Today, we're going to be discussing robotic hysterectomies. So hysterectomies can be performed for a variety of reasons, including malignancy, abnormal uterine bleeding, or endometriosis. You can do these laparoscopically, vaginally, open, or robotically. There are different types of hysterectomies. So you could have a simple hysterectomy or a radical hysterectomy. A simple is when you remove just the cervix and the uterus. A radical is when you're removing the uterus and other structures around it, like the vagina, for example. Doing this robotically also allows us several advantages, but the most important being that the surgeon can use the robot to operate in different angles or views that's normally not possible with laparoscopic surgery. So Sasha, you've done a lot of these cases. What types of anesthetics do you give in this type of case? And what are the main considerations that you want to keep in mind? Mm -hmm. So as far as types of anesthetic goes, this is going to be a general endotracheal tube anesthetic. We want to keep these patients relaxed. Um, Preoperatively, you know, these patients are going to be in lithotomy. So we want to just ask them, check their hip and leg range of motion. You know, they're going to have their, their legs up. They're also going to be in a steep Trendelenburg position. So at our facility, we use these, they're almost like, they feel like Tempur-Pedic foam mattresses uh, that sit under the patient, but it prevents the patient from sliding. If you don't have one of these, you really want to make sure that patient is strapped. Um, You can draw a little line at their head pillow to make sure you can see if the patient is sliding down. Um, But in addition to that, you also want to be sure to think about the physiological changes that occur with this steep Trendelenburg positioning. Does the patient have a large BMI? Are you going to need an OG tube? Um, How steep of a Trendelenburg are you going to go into? How's that going to affect your ventilation and your peak pressures? Um, you know, you might start hearing your vent alarm going off. Their peak pressures might be, you know, 35. Um, there, there's a lot that occurs when you put that patient in that steep head down. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to be sure preoperatively to check their coax. You know, there's a lot of blood flow that goes to the uterus. These cases, you can lose a lot of blood quickly. Um, you start to hear the suction going off, you look up and all of a sudden there's 400 in the suction canister. So you really want to consider a type and screen, uh, definitely, uh, or a type and cross, depending on their starting hemoglobin. You want to be cognizant of why these patients are getting their, their uterus removed. If they have abnormal bleeding, they could already be starting off with a low hemoglobin, you know, of eight. Preoperatively, we want to consent them for a tap block in the event the surgeon has to open if they're doing this laparoscopically. Um, 
And as far as monitors and devices go, um, I briefly mentioned the OG tube. You know, sometimes when you have these patients head down, you kind of pull up the bear hugger plastic and you kind of see bile sort of, you know, sometimes dripping across their face. You can put an OG tube in to sort of prevent that. It also helps with the surgical exposure for um, the patient, the surgeon getting, helping to get like the bowel and stuff out of the way. Blood loss, like I mentioned, we can have fairly significant blood loss quickly, you know, up to 500 plus. You want to have blood tubing available and a warmer available if you have that lower threshold to transfuse, if that patient has that lower starting hemoglobin. If you need to do frequent blood draws, you could you could have an A-line, but typically we do not. Uh, typically, we don't have an A-line for these procedures. I always do a second IV, especially because we're going to be tucking those arms. Um, you're not going to have access, and if you need to transfuse them, you want to have that ready. Especially if you're doing this robotically, you're not going to have access to the arms either. Um, Rio, what about positioning for these patients? I already I talked a little bit about it, but what about some physiological changes and stuff that occur with our positioning? Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, when you're in that steep trendelenburg trend position, and then you're also on top of that giving a pneumoperitoneum, you can have a lot of physiologic changes. Some of them being you have a decreased, uh, you know, functional residual capacity, decreased compliance. You're going to have really increased peak pressures, the VQ mismatch. And so you want to use some kind of pressure control mode. Um, that's that's going to be super helpful for this. I always like to also frequently communicate with surgeons if the, the pressure is too high in the abdomen. So if I'm not able to, you know, get that end tidal CO2 to a reasonable level, if my peak pressures are really high, if I'm not meeting the tidal volume um, that's adequate for that patient, then we might need to come down with that neuromoperitoneum to achieve those goals. Now, you also have to remember that the robot is docked, so you can't make any bed position changes with the remote while the robot is docked. You have to get those bed positions in before you're fully docked, and then after that, you cannot touch that remote. I even, in the beginning years, would put a piece of tape over the remote, so I'm just like not even tempted to touch it. Um, you're going to have restricted access to the airway. Uh, you know, the, the patient, I like to put a pillow over their face and their eyes to make sure that they are not going to get whacked by the robot arm because it is really, really close to their face. Also, with the Steve Trendelenburg, you, you know, we kind of alluded to this, like nerve injury is a concern from being in that position. So be cognizant of that. So they're going to be in that Trendelenburg position for most of the case until they're re getting ready to remove the uterus. They're going to then undock the robot, you're going to flatten out the bed, and then they'll try to remove the uterus, um, usually vaginally, but sometimes abdominally. As far as anesthetic consideration goes intraoperatively, I've had this happen to me a couple of times, but anytime we insufflate or pull on the uterus, we can see a pretty significant vagal response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So typically, you know, especially if these patients are young, they're kind of already starting out with a lower heart rate. If they're you know, athletes, we could anticipate them, they could brady down. So you want to have glycopyrrolate handy. I'm sure you've experienced this in other laparoscopic mm -hmm. cases as well. You insufflate, you hear that patient's heart rate go down to 32, 30. Mm -hmm. You're starting to get a little nervous. Um, you can give 0 0.2, 0 0.4 milligrams of glycopyrrolate. That works well. You can also give some ephedrine. Keep in mind yeah. that with the low heart rate, it's going to take some time to work. So give it a second. Yeah, yeah. I've had people actually go asystolic for this um, mm. during cases, it, usually young people, young women. Um, you go to the insufflation, they go asystolic. And sometimes it's as simple as telling the surgeon, 
hey, this just happened. Can you turn off the insufflation? Let mm-hmm. let the glycopyrrolate kind of catch up because it's totally just a, like a vagal stretch response. Let the gly- glycopyrrolate, and then when you insufflate again, do it a little bit slower because they, you know, how they are. They're kind of like turn it on full blast, full yeah. speed, high flow. You know? yeah. high flow. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we get the glycopyrrolate in and then kind of go up slowly the next time you go up. Yeah, it, t- it tends to be the, the young patients, and then also if they're very thin as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, yeah. You can always pre-treat too. I have had some of my colleagues will pre-treat with a little bit of glyco just to prevent that because we've mm-hmm. all had that <laughs> sort of traumatic yeah. experience of like seeing their heart rate go down, um, and especially with the uterus too. I've had a patient go asystole with uh, a, a delivery, a C-section delivery, yeah, and they were really yeah, pulling yeah. on the uterus. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, something to consider with the this type of robotic hysterectomy as well. So surgeons will also cysto um, to check the patency of the ureters. We can use indigocarmine or fluorocene. Um, we also intraoperatively with this steep Trendelenburg position could also get some subcutaneous uh, emphysema. So, you know, if you see your CO2 climbing high, you can just take a feel for some prepotus. Um, we can also be aware that a venous gas embolism is also uh, a mm-hmm. possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and with these robotic cases, the bed control is a little bit different than our normal bed control. So if it's your first day in the robot room, just go ahead and take a look at that. Make sure you kind of familiarize yourself with that. Although not moving it intraoperatively, you're going to have to be uh, doing some position changes at the beginning and the end of the case. Mm-hmm. Postoperatively, um, we are concerned with bleeding. Um, again, these, you know, we're working by some major blood vessels here. Um, and then also pain management. We want to make sure these patients are able to get up out of bed and their pain is well controlled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we usually, almost all our robotic cases now for hysterectomies, we're doing a tap block for all of these patients um, before we, yep. you know, we, they go to sleep and we do the tap block. So hopefully by the time they wake up, that's starting to kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you though. Has your robot ever broken down? in the middle of the case while it's inside of the patient? I have not had that, but I think we did have some sort of brief power outage where our backup um, power on the in the OR wasn't working. It was so brief, the ventilator. Mm-hmm. I think we ended up having to like back the patient as well. That was the only thing I really remember, but oh no, gosh. have you had that happen? Yeah, we... Um... One of the hospitals I used to work at, the robot just malfunctioned inside of the patient and like locked up and they couldn't even get the arms out or they couldn't move the arms, couldn't pull it out of the patient, it was just stuck. So they, <laughs> my God. So they had to call the technician who was like hours away and, and had to just sit there and wait while this patient is in Steve Trendelenburg, can't do anything until the technician can come and kind of take it apart while it was in the patient. So that that has only happened once, but it has happened. (laughs) I hope hope no patients are actually listening to this. Every student listening to this is like, oh my God, the robot's going to get stuck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that is pretty much all we have for robotic hysterectomy. We will see you guys on another CareClan episode. 